0: real talk real people real stories the he's just podcast yeah welcome everyone to another he's just podcast i'm your host and founder of the he's just a social worker movement jules duje with another amazing show for you today But before we get started, I want to remind everyone that this platform was built, because way too often, as people, we were labeled and overlooked. But this is no longer. Our plight and our fight is for anyone and everyone who feels a need to be understood. We are strong as individuals, but unstoppable when we unite. Today's show is a topic that's endearing to many people. You've heard the word, empowered. To feel empowered is to have a sense of control, confidence, autonomy in your own life. It's about recognizing your own strengths and ability to make positive changes and decisions. I want you guys to meet today our guests. Meet Leah Burditz. Leah's an accomplished writer and author of a book, Conscious Empowerment, a guide to helping girls behind self-esteem and confidence. It was published by New Degree Press. In addition to her book, Leah has written Your Teen for Parents magazine and has been interviewed by dozens of podcasts and publications. After graduating from John Carroll University with her BA in Exercise Science and Entrepreneurship, she founded Empowered Employees. This inspired her to return to school where she received the Masters of Science and Social Administration, MSW. Her primary focus, studying children, youth and families as well as school and social work she published her first book conscious empowerment a guide to helping girls beyond self-esteem and confidence she is a dynamic woman leader and also been featured as ted talk i am honored to have you as a social worker leah welcome to our show
1: well thank you for having me thank you for that generous introduction Uh, I'm just so excited to be here with another social worker, school social worker, something I'm super passionate about and to be able to share a little bit about what I have going on and learn a little bit more about you, Jules.
0: Amazing. Thank you. So, I mean, tell us a little bit about yourself and what are you currently working on, Leah?
1: Sure. So currently I am working full-time as a school social worker in a couple of elementary schools, And in addition to that, I'm running my organization, Empowered and Poised, which started off as a girls' wellness and empowerment program, but since I moved, it's uh, transitioned, and now we are working with students of all backgrounds. Um, And one thing that I'm really excited about is this, in 2023, we just launched our life skills curriculum, which is geared towards elementary and middle school students to help them build social skills. And I actually put a team of researchers together together. And so we're gonna be working on a big project to ensure that it is truly effective across diverse populations, which is something I'm very passionate about, working in a school that has students from so many different cultures and racial backgrounds.
0: You know, as a school leader myself, I feel that it is evident that our students need guidance and supporting this kind of work, I think supports our parents. Could you tell us a little bit how you got involved I know that the passion was there, but tell us about your journey and your walk, because as social workers, we usually don't start out with, yeah, I'm going to just be a social worker. What was your path like?
1: Sure. So when I was in college, I actually was very fortunate to have the opportunity to teach. So I started teaching at 20 years old in an Orthodox Jewish school. I myself am not Jewish, uh, so that was definitely an interesting experience where I got to learn a lot and be immersed in a culture different than my own. Um, and that made me really passionate about again working with people that you know are different than me. And it also taught me a lot. When I was there, I was able to do small groups with young women. I was teaching phys ed for oh gosh, I don't even remember. I think it might have been like kindergarten or first grade through sixth grade girls. And uh, I started an after school program. And then when I graduated, I didn't want just any job. I wanted something that I was passionate about. So I figured. You know, if I'm going to start my own business, now is the time before I have a family of my own, because I know I want to have kids one day. So I started my own business and it kind of all went from there. And that's what got me to be real passionate about what I was doing as far as working with the youth. And I was noticing there was a lot of challenges that they were having. And even though I was a mentor, which is a really great thing, I wanted to be able to gain some of those clinical skills. So I went back and I got my master's in social work, and that's how I officially became a social worker.
0: Hmm. You know, and as you are developing this beautiful story and things are unraveling for you, empowered and poised, what was that for you? Why was these words the key?
1: Yeah. So when I thought of originally, like I said, my target audience was young women. I wanted to be able to have that feminine side, but also that powerful side of women, right? Because we're not just girly, right? We're also powerful and uh, a force, you know, to be reckoned with. And so I felt like having empowered was that strong and poised was that more feminine side, putting them together to make the entire individual. Uh, So that's kind of what uh, struck me when I was coming up with the name empowered and poised, but same with young men, right? There is two sides to them too. And that gentle uh, side that sometimes as a society, I think for young men, we push down, you know, we say, you can't cry, you know, you're being too soft, but the reality is, is we're still all human and we all have emotions and, I think we need to empower them to know that that's okay too.
0: I love this. And I love that you have opened up and let us walk into your world a bit. I am touched uh, not only by the name, but by the work, because many people who do come across you believe that it's just for women. And now you started talking about the work you do with young men. Tell us about this because many people who have learned about your work feel that it's just guided towards women and young girls. Can you tell us more about the work that you are sharing for young men who are thinking to be empowered and poised?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So definitely my book is geared towards young women. So if you're looking to find ways to empower the young women that you live and or work with, highly recommend Conscious Empowerment, which I actually got right here. So this could be uh, found on Amazon. It can be uh, directly from my website. If anybody's interested in checking this out or learning more, uh, they can certainly get a copy there, which is a really wonderful resource that I put together through numerous uh, different interviews with people, lots of looking into research and things like that. But as far as the young men, what I was realizing was in my work that young men are needing these same skills that the young women are, right? Mm -hmm. And even though there are some differences biologically, there are also a lot of similarities between the young women and the young men that I work with. And unfortunately, after COVID, and I'm not sure if you saw this, Jules, in the schools that you work with, but I think that a lot of children were having a harder time coming back to school. We're feeling a little anxious. Uh, You know, there was maybe some of that social anxiety, not knowing how to interact with one another. And so the Empowered Employees Programming, what it does is it helps to teach students those skills like friendship, kindness, how to be assertive um, and what I've done is now with the curriculum that we just launched in 2023, it can be used for students of all genders across the LGBTQ plus spectrum, uh, which Mm -hmm. I think is really awesome because like I said, we wanna empower all of the young individuals that we're working with.
0: You know, I think that that's dynamic. And one point that I like to highlight in your answer, you know, COVID for the profession in itself, was a time that really tested our resilience. It really tested our abilities to go out and perform. And I can tell you by many colleagues in this work, I felt that our profession, not only raised to the occasion, we writhed, we fell, we fought and continue to fight. And I'm not saying that doctors and hospitals are not essential workers because they are. But by God, I also want people to recognize the work that we do, pandemic or not, social workers are real. And we step up into this work, not realizing what the end results are. And I think that that is why having us here as social workers speaks to those new learners who are coming up in this profession. So if you are in the line of work that you like to help people, you like to make a difference, you care about someone else's outcome, then into the work of social work. And I also heard you say that during the pandemic, it was an uneasy time and surely was, because I think that when I'm looking at the numbers, if we had two years of shutdown, so to speak, you had a child who was stuck home virtually, no social development skills, no peer relationships. In many instances, the home alone child struggled. No friends, no abilities to connect except technology when the students were able to come back if i was in 6th grade i was already going into high school so there were 2 years that i left out not being together with my friends not being able to understand some of the particulars of academia because we were stuck in a google classroom so to speak and we were just learning on the fly so big up to all those students who had to really you know jump and You know, take a dive into something that was really unclear and unknown. So thank you for, you know, bringing that out. When we are, you know, talking about your curriculum a bit, share with us why this is important because SEL now after COVID, let's just say it's on the rise. Can you tell us more about your curriculum?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I would love to. And Jules, I also want to make a note to those who might be listening who are not familiar with the term SEL and what that means, because I know nowadays there's a lot of confusion around this word and what we're trying to do when we talk about SEL. So for those of uh, you who don't know who are listening, SEL means social emotional learning and social emotional learning truly is learning those life skills, those basic skills to help people to be successful. So learning how to interact with one another, learning how to be a good, kind, loving person, learning how to apologize and use your manners, right? So honestly, to me, Jules, there's nothing negative ever about learning SEL. Um, And unfortunately, sometimes I think that it gets a bad rep. So I'm excited to have the opportunity to speak a little bit more about it today. Um, But what we know as far as the research with SEL is that it helps students in all areas, including academics because when they can regulate their emotions better, they can learn better too. So it's better for them socially, emotionally, physically, mentally, all of the different ways, right? Social emotional learning is helpful. Um, And the nice thing too, is that these skills can help students not just in school, but also outside of school too, in the real world, to help them build things like resilience, as we had mentioned, when they're facing all of life's challenges, whether it be a pandemic, Something that's going on in the household, um, maybe you know what they're going to do next after high school. So I think that these are really key, and for me, it's important that they learn them at a young age when they are so malleable, and that they can then use them throughout their life to help them to be successful in all areas.
0: Thank you for your answer, Leah. And once again, as you heard her say, SEL is the term social emotional learning, not to be confused with emotional intelligence. Is how Mm -hmm. we manage our own emotions and how others are being perceived or how we see them as well. When we are thinking about the school and we talk a lot about the students, the teachers as well have to activate their own social emotional learning because there's a lot of work that goes into prepping to be a teacher. And you can tell us a little bit about that in a, in a few. But for me, when when I'm working with teachers, I'm thinking about the realm of their preparation, their technique, and their work ethic, it says a lot. It's not just getting up there, reading out from pages and telling students, um, this is what happened in this year and I'm gonna help you learn how to do this or math. It's about their craft and being able to look at teachers in that eye because they too have to develop this kind of intelligence of their own. Because when you're working with students who are so diverse, I think is key especially now like great you know, curriculums such as yours, when we're you know, using lessons to then bend social emotional learning into it. I've always said that teachers who are able to empower emotional intelligence of their own, but also blend in that social emotional learning during lessons, those are superstars. Because many a times, even if you're talking about something that happened uh, in history, um, in 1999, this took place. How do you think they felt? How do you think those people were dealing? So big up to all the teachers. Tell us a little bit about your teaching time, Leah. How was that? And did you know that you were involved in, in, in this work, so to speak, while you were teaching or did it just come to you later on?
1: You know, honestly, I'm not sure that I really did realize it at that time because I didn't have the formal education and I was I mean, I was 20 years old. I feel like that's pretty young to be, you know, starting working in schools, which was never even something that I had anticipated. It just came about somebody at the gym met me and said that the school was looking for a physical education teacher. I happened to be in the field of exercise science and I was like, oh, I really like kids. I feel like I could use what I'm learning. Let me give it a shot. Mm -hmm. Um, So I definitely think that if I were to go back all those years, I would definitely do things a little differently, right? Because I think the, the more we know, the better that we can be. Um, But definitely, I think things like being able to regulate yourself when you're getting frustrated, because just because we're teachers or adults doesn't mean that we don't get frustrated, too. And so I find myself using those same sorts of skills that the students do and encourage teachers to use them as well. Things like taking a deep breath or modeling these healthy behaviors. And actually, Jules, I'm not sure if you had the chance to check it out or not, but I have been blogging lately on the Empowered Employees website, and a lot of those blogs now are geared towards educators, uh, those people teaching the students, school social workers, counselors. And just to name a few of the ones that we have is Nurturing Healthy Boundaries, a guide for educators. So helping you learn how you can teach students healthy boundaries, but also how you could have healthy boundaries for yourself. Because what we know too is that Teachers are super overwhelmed. Being a teacher is not easy nowadays, no matter what people think. It is challenging. So to be able to uh, stick up for yourself and be assertive as an adult to put in those boundaries so that you can protect your mental health and well-being to be better for the children. We have how physical activity boosts learning and enhances physical wellness, stress management for kids quick and easy ways to build stronger relationships with students. And I plan to keep coming out with more of these blogs for people to read and figure out how they can add SEL into their own lives and the lives of the students or the young people that they're working with.
0: Great work. Actually, I haven't written in a while because I kept on recording these podcasts because of the radio releases and whatnot. But some of the work I began to do was around myself, reading a book that I thought was interesting and sharing it with my public and then tapping into some of these SEL learnings or probably my own emotional intelligence, how we can develop that. And this is just speaking to what the social worker's capabilities are. Mm -hmm. Our minds are always racing. I don't know about you, but there are times in the middle of the night that I'm thinking about a student and I'm like, why is it that we haven't connected? Why is it? So I go to sleep with those thoughts and all of a sudden in the middle of the night like some sort of songwriter I wake up I'm like I got it I got it tomorrow morning the first thing I'm going to do is secondly I'm going to try this because these students mean the world to us and this is what I think about this work that makes us special social workers are always thinking we're never satisfied with what is the outcome we want to see more there's nothing more telling for us When there's a student who has an IEP, who nobody wanted, who nobody wanted to deal with, who's constantly struggling, is he on his meds? Is he okay? He threw a chair, something else happened. But then as years go on, the work starts to pile up. The brain starts to mature. The goals begin to work. Fast forward, you're at graduation and this student says you made a difference. How does that make you feel, Leah? Because I know you've been through that as well.
1: Well, honestly, all right, it it feels great. And so I think we need to also say being a social worker, I don't know if you've gotten this, but I have gotten, oh, wow, bless your heart. That's a really hard job. I can't believe you do that work. I would never want to do that work. But Honestly, Jules, like I love my job. I actually think I have one of the best jobs in the world. And I think if I had all the money in the world and I could do anything. I probably would still be doing what I'm doing today. That's how much I enjoy what I do. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to, you know, make things too sparkly. There's still days I hit my snooze alarm and want to go back to bed just like everyone else. But Mm. there is that gratification and knowing that you're making a difference in somebody's life, you know? And sometimes we don't always get to see the impact. and, And sometimes we won't hear from them back in high school saying thanks for the difference that you've made. But I think we know in our hearts that we are making a difference, even if it is planting the seeds for later on. Um, And one thing that I would like to to ask you, Jules, because like I said, I would love to share this with all the people that I'm connected with is how Mm -hmm. you got into this, because sometimes I think people say that, oh, you're just a social worker, right? Mm. And what is it that you even do? Or sometimes we're split between multiple buildings, which I am. And so it makes it hard. To always, you know, be able to get done everything that we want to do. But I'd like to hear your story a little bit more about how you got into doing what you're doing now. And, you know, the creative opportunity, too, that sometimes school social workers or social workers in general don't see is that we can have more impact than just with our client when we do something entrepreneurial like you're doing, Jules.
0: Well, thank you so much for interviewing me on my own show. But I'll tell you this <laughs> much. Um. Social work is something that has happened to me out of response. Um, I was in a scenario where my youngest daughter was struggling and she was dealing with uh, bullying. And I found myself in a position that she could not get her needs met and kept going to the school, trying to advocate. Um, I was working at a non-for-profit at that time and I thought I had the tools, you know, I was being professional, I tried every meeting, I did all the things I needed to speak to, the chancellor, I did everything possible. And I continuously saw the doors being closed. So I said, you know what? I'm just gonna be a social worker. I went to Hunter College 2011 and got my master's only to fight back for my daughter's rights. But But it wasn't only for my daughter. I saw that the work that I needed to do at that time was to uplift the Latino population as well, Mm -hmm. because we were caught up in a scenario because of the lack of language, because of our undocumented status, our students were being overlooked. Little did I know that fast forward as an adult, I would be put in that same position. I'm at a retreat and we're dealing with a scenario that I continuously play back. And when people hear the story, they always say, wow. I was at a retreat. And I was just minding my own business, you know, doing the breath work and stuff that you do as icebreakers when everyone there. And me and this other person kept bumping into one another. And she was very polite about it. I'm six three. I'm a I'm a bigger person and kept bumping into her and said, Oh my God, I'm sorry. We kept saying sorry to one another. She was being picked up by a colleague who was a higher up. And when she reached her, they were going to eat lunch, I'm assuming. And at this time we bumped into one another for about the 50th time and we're like, oh my God. And we're laughing about it now. We're like, it's okay. I'll send you the doctor bill and whatnot. And this lady blurted out, he's just a social worker. So at that particular moment, yesterday marked my first year anniversary with this uh, platform. What I did right after was I got up and said, you know what, that really stung. But it didn't sting around my ego because those of us that do this work, it's like we get hit on one side. We're like, okay, hit me on the other side. This was really a scenario that I felt my my people being hurt, and I meant my social workers, I meant my cab drivers, the painters, the landscapers, the people that never had a voice, and I said I have to do something about it. And I reached two people who I had on, on my live last night. They were with me at that site. I said, look, I got to go home. I'm just thinking about something. No, you know, we could go talk to her. No, no, we don't need to talk. I know what I'm gonna do next. Fast forward. I developed this company. I called my accountant. I said, I need the name. He's just a social worker because that's the name that I, that I need. And I want, so we get the name. And I began to spread community voice. And what I tried to do with it was making sure that everyone's voices were heard. And you've heard people on my platform who are professionals, CEOs, authors, but you've also heard the regular Joe, the person who never gives up, the person who's willing to take on multiple jobs. And this is why I think that this platform has been you know, received because often we were overlooked, but no longer any profession needs to be looked at and respected. And now, empowered and poised. So thank you for that, friend, because I think that it's important for everyone to know that this is a profession that has so many angles. There's so many areas to tackle. And please contact me on my website, contact Leah, because social workers are always willing to help. And I've had so many deep conversations with other social workers about what this profession is. It's not only working in a school. It's not only working outpatient. There's so many areas, government, there's so many areas that you can tackle. So please reach out to me at, he's just a social worker. Reach out to Leah, reach out to any social workers because we need to be more. We need to get stronger because we are strong as individuals, but unstoppable when we unite. Leah, tell us a little bit more about the work. When you go out there and you're motivating young people, I know that you, have reached one of the highest things. And I think many people have probably looked at this. Tell us about your Ted talk after, after getting up there. And I love the way you started with the deep breathing. And then that always happened to me in the square breathing. I started breathing and then I think the line went and then I breathed and then, but tell us about that experience. That was so beautiful. Tell us about that experience and how did your life change after that?
1: So Jules, I'm happy to talk about my my TED Talk experience. But first, I just want to say, A, thank you for sharing your story with me as an individual, with everybody here on this platform. And also, congratulations, because that's a huge accomplishment. Because a lot of times people will start something. And what I've heard, especially with podcasts, people start it and then they give up on it. Because it's not easy, right? It's not easy to build a platform and get followers and subscribers and all that kind of stuff. So... Congratulations on on this platform and on all of your success.
0: Uh, That's what I want to
1: say first. Secondly, I also would just like to, um, you know, say thank you for sharing your experience regarding being being within the Latinx community and a little bit about the struggles that you have gone through and that the individuals that you've worked with have also gone through. So one of the things that you may not know about me just yet is I've really been trying to work on my Spanish not really coming along quick, but I've been working really hard. And I know un poquito, (laughs) a little bit, just a little bit. And so we're going to have to stay in touch because I would like to keep working on that. And one of the reasons that I want to do that, though, Jules, is related to what I'm doing as a professional and as a social worker. And the school district that I work in, like I said, is extremely diverse, one of the most diverse in the area, which is something that I, I absolutely love. And we also have a very large Hispanic population. And I have to say this year, more than any, my heart has just really gone out to students who are within the ESL community, which Mm -hmm. are students that are are learning English for the first time within their homes. They speak maybe another language. And in my school district, we have Ukrainian students. We have Hispanic students. We have a very large chin population, which, to be honest, I didn't even know about before I came here. Um, And students from a lot of different backgrounds, too. And you know, I just can't imagine being a child, being in a classroom where they don't understand any of the language at all, how difficult that is. So I really try to make an extra effort and to go above and beyond to make the students who maybe don't speak uh, any English yet, feel heard and understood and welcomed. Um, mm-hmm. And that's one thing with my curriculum, like I said, that's really important is that it is effective across diverse populations. Because I think that's one area that we're lacking within the profession is when we say something is culturally responsive, is it truly culturally responsive? And I want to make sure that my curriculum is just that, so that if somebody's using it in a district like mine, that all of the students can receive its benefits. So again, thank you for, for sharing that. I'll give you a second to respond, because I know that was a lot of words.
0: <laughs> well, you know what, friend? I you know, you just have my mind racing. And I know that when we first um, touch base, we were not We had not met uh, Mm -hmm. face-to-face. We had some, some, some chats that we began. And I know that from there, there was an energy and there was a connection. Because I think that those of us who do this work, you can automatically tell that we are enmeshed, that we are in this work. You know, the one thing, even as a school administrator, I've not turned my back on the social work profession. This is season four of our podcast. And... I think and I know that we will do more work. Uh, In March, I have an event that's happening in Florida. And I think that what I would like to see, Leah, maybe you and I can get this started. I want us to connect in trying to lure more social workers who are just getting into the work, Mm -hmm. who are just learning how to navigate, who may have questions. So anybody who is listening, who is probably thinking about the profession, know that this is not easy because many of us as social workers, we all have therapists. We all need someone to vent with. Some of us pay for therapy. Some of us have mentors. Some of us have people that we can count on. So that support is key. So I'm asking you now, friend, and I'm tagging you as a friend. Maybe we can create something around that because not only is it important for social workers to know that there are people like you and I, I think that they need to understand that there is more to social work. Just because you have ADHD or you're struggling with depression does not mean you cannot be effective at being a social worker. You know that most of my kids, the ones who are the misbehaved ones, I always tell them, you're gonna be an incredible therapist because they know all of the tricks, they know all the coping skills, they've learned everything that we've taught. And sometimes they just walk into the office, don't tell me, I'm gonna take space, I'm gonna count to 10, I know what to do, and they can lead sessions. So I'm excited about the up and coming social workers who are coming out. And I wanna talk more a little bit about your book. What are, what are some of the strategies you want our listeners to get out from this book, which I plan to have the link on my website as well?
1: Mm-hmm. So, you know, Jules, we said we were going to be bopping around a little bit. So I do want to also say, you know, I feel open and comfortable to share that one of the reasons that I also started this work was because of my own struggles with anxiety, self-esteem, and uh, body image. And mm-hmm. so, as you had mentioned, I do think that just because you have something going on does not mean you cannot be successful. So I hope that whoever's listening, if they're struggling with something that they know and feel inspired to realize that they can overcome those challenges and still be something really wonderful. Um, The other thing, too, is I wanted to uh, circle back to the TED Talk that you had mentioned. So Mm -hmm. normally, honestly, I am a pretty outgoing person. I don't get too nervous in front of crowds. But for some reason, the format of the TED Talk, I actually was really nervous before. Definitely mm-hmm. my heart was racing and getting in front of that crowd was, was definitely very nerve wracking, even though I had practiced, you know, time and time again. And I did work with a, a mentor to help me to prepare my speech and listen to me practice and give me feedback and things like that, because I knew and hoped that a lot of people would be seeing it. And so mm-hmm. I wanted it to be good and make sure that it was effective for the audience that was going to listen to it at some point. So I will say I'm definitely glad that I took the opportunity and also pushed through the uncomfortable feelings, which I think is something that as social workers, we definitely recommend is even when things are uncomfortable to keep trying and keep pushing forward. And I'm glad that I've done that because I think hopefully there's been enough people who have listened to it, that it's made an impact on on the community. So thank you for asking about that. So it was definitely a great experience, but nerve wracking in the beginning and and that breathing in the beginning, the square breathing tools. (laughs) That wasn't for everybody else. Just that was for me too, to help me call my nerves because it does help to sometimes take those deep breaths mm-hmm. right before you're going to do something that's really important to you. And, you know, some nervousness and some stress or anxiety is healthy. Granted, mm-hmm. like I said, sometimes mine is an unhealthy level. But mm-hmm. at that point, it was because I cared.
0: Um, Have you ever had a scenario where you walked in? And it wasn't what you was expecting as far as the work. And you needed to be careful about how you paced yourself in fear of burnout or probably backlash.
1: Yeah, I think definitely just this field in general that I am the kind of person who I've definitely learned how to have fairly strong boundaries to make sure that I don't burn out. Uh, so for example, I really don't bring a lot of work home. I'm not sure about all the other social workers, but I have a friend actually, who's a social worker. She tells me she's out at work till like eight o'clock every night. And I tell her like, that is not healthy for you. I mean, I know that we want to do good work, but also if we want to do this work in the long run and for the long haul to help a lot of students, you can't do that every day. Cause that's not good for you. And again, you got to be good for yourself to be good for somebody else. So one thing that I practiced with one of my supervisors was closing the computer. And at the end of the day, saying, I've done all that I can do to the best of my ability today, you know, and I'm going to try again tomorrow. Um, mm-hmm. And kind of really just trying to to have those boundaries and separate things. Certainly, there's some things, though, that you're going to take home mentally. Like you said, in the middle of the night, thinking about a student, I'm definitely thinking about my kids when I'm at home but I do try to have that space and do things for me that are healthy and enjoyable, you know, trying to get to the gym, spending time with loved ones. Um, Those are two of the big things that I like to do when it's warm. I like to go on walks, but when we talk about self-care, I think that that is a word that's often overused now. And they say, Oh, self-care. Like I'm just going to go eat my ice cream, which like, (laughs) let's be honest. I love ice cream. And anybody who knows me knows that I love it. However, that's not really true self-care, right? Mm-hmm. That's more self-indulgence and, and that's okay, right? Every once in a while, having something that you like or you know, indulging in something like a sweet treat is okay. But self-care really is more about those little things that you're doing every single day to help you across your lifespan. Um, so certainly I think burnout is a very real thing. And I've seen a lot of friends who unfortunately have left either this field or similar fields, because they can't keep up with it. And, you know, it's just weighing too heavy on them and their shoulders. Um, So for me personally, one of the reasons that I love being in the schools is because I feel like it's a really good balance for me personally, you know, especially I'm at the elementary level is, I just think there's something about those elementary school students that even though it's heavy work that we're doing, there's still such a sense of joy with the students that I'm working with. And, you know, really in the elementary school, have you ever worked in an elementary school Jules?
0: I've worked all my life in elementary. Now I'm going to uh, middle school myself.
1: So Mm -hmm. so you know in the elementary school that you Mm -hmm. are literally like famous. Those kids, when they see you, you are the coolest (laughs) thing ever.
0: Yep, ever
1: even if you might embarrass them. The other day at a dance, one of my students, I was embarrassing her. I said, how am I embarrassing you? I'm not even your mom. <laughs> like, mm. I was just dancing, I was having a good time. It was it was fun, she was laughing.
0: Oh, I thought, I thought it was just me because I'd be busting moves early in the morning <laughs> to welcome them in. They're like, oh, Mr. DuJay, you can't dance. I was like, oh yes, I could. Oh. These moves are good. So now I'm, I, mm-hmm. you know, I think I gotta go back to the lab one person didn't like Waterfall. Now someone doesn't like my dancing. So I'm going, to working, I'm going to keep working on this. But I think that you actually talked about something that is crucial. You know, you cannot try to take the work home. That is so big for me. Yeah. I was working uh, for some time in a high-end um, scenario, or rather high-need scenario. It was sure. intense. And the intensity can go from... A session to another session, and in your third session, you got to call two one one. You got to take a student to to the psychiatric care. There's is, there's a crisis. There's all kind of things that can happen, and you don't know how your day is going to unfold. Mm-hmm. I always tell people who are in this work try to schedule yourself. And I know that when we have caseloads, we look at okay, I have X amount of students. I'll see two today, five tomorrow, X whatever. But I think that there's something to be talked about when you say, don't bring the work home. Mm -hmm. Try to set this day and you say, look, I'm going to do five things today. Sort of like your gratitude list. Like I'm going to do five things today, five today. The one most important thing is I have to call that parent. Let's say you make that call. Then the rest will be cherries on top. You cannot think that every day you're going to hit all five. And work is a bouncing ball. Work is a bouncing ball. What is made out of glass is you, is your own emotions and your own heart. If you bounce that ball made out of glass, it breaks. So you need to be careful in how you take care of self. And yeah, maybe not indulging in the ice cream, but find ways to keep yourself focused, empowered, and poised. Let's talk about how can we activate and get our hands on your curriculum? How do we do that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So if people are interested in learning more about the curriculum, they can go to my website, which is www.empoweredemployees.com. That's empowered and a N D poised dot com. Uh, that's also where people could order a copy of my book if they're interested as well. And I'm happy to sit down and have a demo with anybody who's interested to walk them through the curriculum so that they can learn a little bit more. There's also a free stress management lesson that can be downloaded if you're just interested in what one lesson looks like. And, uh, or you can also email me directly at hello at So you can either reach out to me directly through email or check out the website. And those are two ways that you can get your hands on the curriculum and or the book. Um, I do want to circle back real quick before we end though, Jules, to talk just briefly about the book because I know you had asked me, what are the lessons in there? And I'm not sure if you heard from any of the other podcasts or things that I've done, but the way that I came up with the different chapters was actually based on the series of interviews that I did with individuals who are experts in this area or who are from diverse backgrounds, because I wanted to make sure that I was talking to people from a variety of different communities so we could get input on how confidence and self-esteem may be a little bit different uh, from one individual to the next. Because as you had mentioned, a one-size-fits-all approach just doesn't work. And that was the whole reason I wrote this book was because there may be some books out there on how to help young girls build self-esteem and confidence, but not necessarily what that looks like to tailor the approach. And so what happened was I was hearing a lot of the same things in interviews over and over and over. So when you think of a hashtag, right, That is something that you can go back to find or that maybe is continuing to come up over and over. And so that's how I came up with the different chapters. So again, this is from the Conscious Empowerment book. I'm gonna go ahead and just read you a few of the different chapter titles so you get Mm -hmm. a little peek into what's inside. Mm -hmm. So of course, at the beginning, I talk a little bit about intersectionality, which for those of you who are listening and are not sure what the word intersectionality means, it's the way that all of those different components who make you, you are put together. So for example, your race, your culture, your gender expression, your sexual orientation, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The way those things come together. And then one of them is being that adult. So how can we be that adult for the students that we work and there or live with exposure, exposing them to a variety of different things, right? Whether that's going to an art museum, a sporting event, a different fair or festival, Exposure within the community and with inside the home as well. Representation, making sure that we're seeing people and experiencing things that we believe that we can achieve. So one thing, you know, is we were talking about social workers, right? Is that may not be something that anybody even knows about as a young person, as a profession, but when they see you and meet you, and if you look like them or remind them of their self, they may be more inspired to become a social worker later in life affirmations and affirmations. um, It speaks a little bit about how to actually use those in an effective way, because actually not all affirmations are as effective as other ones are, Mm -hmm. which again, you could read the book to learn a little bit more about what I mean there. Being seen, which is basically just talking about authentically showing up as yourself and encouraging young people to do the same. And then the last one before the final thoughts is sports and fitness. So, you know, coming from an exercise science background, I do believe that it's very important to also look at our physical well-being and how that plays a role into our mental well-being. So with Empowered and Poised, it's all based on the wellness triangle. So social, mental and physical well-being and how those different things interact. Now, for some people, spiritual well-being may also be an aspect that you choose to to add into. The only reason I haven't done that within Empowered and Poised is because I want to make sure that everybody's included And, you know, I understand that some people's spirituality may be less of importance to them, but certainly to somebody like me. And I'm not sure about you, Jules, but we could add that in if we feel that that's a good fit for us.
0: Amazing. I really love the breakdown of how you let us in. You let us in into your book, but I think you let us in into your mind. It was just beautiful to hear how you organize yourself and even browsing through your site. Very nicely put. I mean, there's resources There's examples, there's some free pieces that people can learn and take. Then you have the resources and hotlines for those that are needing that immediate help. And it's just the fluid work that's in here for everyone. And I know that your book was supposed to be made or tailored towards young girls, but I'm also looking at this touching people at all walks of life. I can see an adult touching this and saying, you know what, I never had that when I was growing up from a family member. I never had that. And maybe this is the piece that I'm missing. This is what it feels to be represented. And many of us, we live life focused. We are successful. We got jobs. We have careers. We have families. And some of us are still missing some of that. So touching a book such as yours, I think, can hit on various levels for different people. I really did enjoy your explanation, but I'm also really leaning towards it is more than just for one size fits all. I think that there is a look at for adults who are trying to support a child who is saying to the mom or dad, you're not listening to me, I'm not being heard, because kids now have those words. And when parents are listening to this, These are the things that Leah is trying to touch on. These are the chapters that I believe are going to help you if you purchase her book. And please look on her website, which is lovely. And I will have the link on mine as well. I am really touched about this type of work for you. But if you weren't in this line of work, what kind of profession you think you would have chosen? Maybe some sort of um, crossfitter or something or what?
1: Oh, that's a good question. You know, originally what I thought I was going to do uh, when I was in school was maybe something like physical therapy or that's actually how I met my husband, funny enough. Mm. Uh, I'll tell you a quick story about that. I was at the gym and a mutual gym person, right, um, had introduced us because they're like, oh, he's a physical therapist. He no longer is. But at the time he was. And they said, and you want to be a physical therapist. So maybe mm. you should connect with him. And That's how we were originally introduced which is funny um Mm -hmm. but i think i probably would have liked to do something like personal training um now i'm doing that stuff a lot more just as a hobby for joy and i really Mm -hmm. am passionate about the field of mental health um and the work that i'm doing so at this point i'm really happy in the profession that i am in Um, but at the time i think something like that probably was the idea
0: well i'm glad you shared that story i was scared i thought that you were like if he's a physical therapist, I'm going to hurt my leg to make sure. That he <laughs> no, therapy. I did not do that.
1: <laughs> Thank goodness. I'm okay. And so the one thing that I want
0: to talk so about. <laughs> you know he's he, honestly, he's he, a
1: huge supporter of all the work that I'm doing. And, and he's actually yeah. a big, a big inspiration for a lot of this. So, um, you know, one thing that it's always like, oh, do I, do I mention my personal life? But really it's kind of hard not to, because. I think mm-hmm. that our relationship has had such a profound impact on who I am and also the passion that I have for working with diverse communities. So my husband and I are in a biracial relationship, and he too is in the field of diversity, equity, and inclusion. So he works within the, the healthcare system, but he is also um, on ACHE, the American College of Healthcare Executives. I may I may be getting that wrong, but I think that's what it stands for. And he sure. is currently their uh, diversity, equity and inclusion chair. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's something that in our household, right, we talk about openly and is really important to the both of us. And, you know, I feel grateful that he is progressing this field in other areas outside of the school systems, but within the healthcare system um, and helping to, uh, you know, represent uh, be, and be representative for those who may not see individuals like him always in the field. Um, I know he's certainly had that experience more than a couple times when he's gotten the opportunity to go speak to uh, college individuals to say, hey, thank you. Thank you for coming to speak to my class today. It's just so nice to see somebody who looks like me. And, you know, I'm inspired to be able to do this work. So I feel really passionate and and grateful to be, you know, married to such a wonderful man.
0: Great stuff, Leah. And big up to your husband for the work that he's laying out here for our communities and our universities and so on. There's so much to say about the need for support, even though that people say that we do this work every day and we help so many people. We, too, cry. We, too, also struggle. And we need to have those supports, whether it's home, friendships or, you know, this circle of people, a few people um, that can come in and understand you, sometimes even having someone who's not in the field is also a great thing because they have no agenda they come in with an open mind and sometimes they can develop new ways for you to heal and to have that support there are ways that people connect even though they are not involved in your case you are in some way shape or form but in cases where people do not share the same uh angle in career so that's also very important and you know i want to also add There is so much to talk about when you bring out the work of teens. Has there been a situation, a case that has impacted you? And you say, you know what, for this student is the reason why. Or when I'm struggling, this is the student that I'm thinking about. Do you have such a story?
1: You know, there's so many students. It's hard for me, you know, to determine just one story that has made difference in my life because there really have been so many little glimmers and stories that have made a difference but one story that always sticks out to me is a student who i just adored um and i worked with her quite often and there was a time where she was putting food into her book bag Mm -hmm. and it was in the morning you know during breakfast time and a teacher which I I hate to share this story because, you know, I don't even want this teacher to hear this, but it really it just broke my heart, Uh, was unhappy with her and took the food and threw it out right in front of her and said, if you're going to act this way, this is what I'm going to do. I could tell because she has a little bit of a tough exterior, right? Because she's lived a pretty challenging life and she had her head down and she was crying. And I went up to her and I patted her back. I said, you want to come to my office real quick? She said, yeah, Miss B, I do. So I brought her into my office and I said, what's going on? I said, are you upset about what happened with that food? And she's like, yeah. And she opened up to me and she shared, you know, I was trying to have that food so I could feed my siblings after school when we go to the park. Mm. You know, and that just broke my heart. And I said, you know what? Because at the time I was getting ready to transition to a new place. I said, I'm going to make sure that you're taken care of. Here's what we're going to do. Because she said, I'm afraid they're going to think that I'm stealing and I'm not stealing. Like I just am trying to make sure that my siblings have food. And so I said, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you a book bag. I'm going to put a little note in it. I'm going to say, this book bag is for for her to put food in and it's from the school social worker. So if anybody ever questions it, you just show them that little card. And, you know, I talked to a couple of people before I left that place and I said, please make sure you look out for her and make sure that she, you know, is being able to get this. And, um, you know, I just think about that story and the impact that, both things could have had on on that student's life. A, the teacher who was upset with her, that threw it out in front of her, maybe not knowing why she was doing that. And B, the opportunity that she had to be able to express herself and know that somebody is gonna be looking out for her and that then somebody could continue to look out for her in the long run too. Um, And so I think that that's a story that always sticks out to me. Um, And I think it was because I, I also had just a special relationship with that student you know, and I think that even if we're not in a particular place, keeping those connections and relationships is really important because one of the things that I notice in, in my new district is that they have a take what you need table or a share table is what they call it. And mm-hmm. so if a student doesn't drink, say, like their milk or applesauce or anything that's closed, they can put it on that share table and another student can take it in case they're still hungry. And so I. I reached back out to that other connection that I had and I said, hey, I think this is a great idea. I noticed we wasted, you know, a lot of food. It just got thrown out. Do you think you can maybe make this table? And from what I understand, they now have that table, too, where students mm. can then use that. And so I think that's a really great thing that if schools aren't implementing a share table to encourage them to use that, because we do have a lot of students that struggle with food insecurity and that's a basic need. Right. And if you're not having your basic needs, met, it is very, very hard to learn. Um, And so I think just thinking outside of the box on ways that you can be an extra support or reconnect with your connections to help them uh, maybe progress what it is they have going on in their organization or school.
0: Leah, thank you for sharing such a heartfelt, beautiful story. And I think um, when I said earlier about us coming together, I'm very serious about can we find ways, and I think this is a good start. I'm just like, my ideas are now percolating. Can we develop a group where social workers can share type of stories? Because we all have them. Mm-hmm. I had a student who, he didn't want the school breakfast and he just wanted chips and that's what I had. Um, the teacher, when he went for morning meeting, he had the chips, she felt that that he was, you know, making fun of her like, Yeah, I got here later. I'm going to misbehave and I'm going to eat chips. Um, She took the chips and threw them away. And his response was aggression. He started throwing chairs and whatnot, and I went to go get him. And when he told me the story, um, that's the area that I think I struggled the most and I need the growth with. I went back to the teacher and I said, let me be clear with you, 100% clear with you. I don't care. What he did yesterday, two weeks ago, today, this morning. He is going to eat what I provide for him. You can go get the principal. I'll call her myself and let her tell me that I can't give him food. Many of times, I know we all do it. I come out of pocket and I'm at Costco. I'm at these places. I don't have any small kids. I'm buying for my kids because some of these kids, they don't even have an opportunity to have snacks. They don't have an opportunity to eat. What they eat at school is what they're going to eat. So if if it's Friday and we don't have programs that can give them fill in the blanks or programs that they could could take some non-perishable foods home, the last meal they have was Friday's lunch. They have the entire weekend with no food whatsoever. And many of us have to be extremely careful while we are out here eating steaks and 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 frappes and whatever we're eating, some of these kids get nothing. So listen to what Leah said. Be very careful when you're working with students and they're telling you that they are hungry. Many of our students struggle to learn. You know why? Because they don't have food. So thank you, Leah, for sharing that beautiful story and waking us up in that way. Hit us up anytime and start stories in this thread in this way so that we can begin to change schools in that way. Make sure everyone has, eat what you want table, because no one is to be denied food. That was a thing about my mom. We were poor or middle class or whatever class we were. There was no way in the world my mom was cooking extra because you never know who was gonna walk in through that door. So let's be mindful teachers, executives, providers, whoever it is, never deny anyone a plate of food. Leah. I want to give you the floor, my friend. It's been an exciting show, to say the least. We've covered some. I know we're going to continue to come together. There'll be other shows and and I'll join you or whatever we need to do together. But the floor is yours, my friend. What do you want people to remember about you? It was such a treat having
1: you. Well, I also just want to say thank you again, uh, genuinely, for inviting me onto this show, for having this conversation. Um, I know on Saturdays, right, we got a lot going on. So you're taking the time out of your Saturday to be able to do this. And I, I really do appreciate it. Um, but I think the thing is, is just, you know, feel free to connect with me on empoweredemploys.com on our website through email, like I said, at hello at empoweredemploys.com. Would love to um, be able to speak with you a little bit more if you have any questions about the curriculum or the book that I've written, or you know, if you have another podcast and you're interested in me being a guest, I'm always open to collaborations and other opportunities to engage with individuals so that they can hear about what it is that I'm promoting and working on and hopefully so that we can all together impact more young people. So again, thanks Jules for having me and I look forward for the show to come live and to sharing it with my audience uh, as well as your audience.
0: I'm gonna say this, my friend, one size, does not fit all empowered poised such a beautiful phrase i think i'm going to dime it myself there's so much to think about when we're learning about ourselves and these challenges you know setbacks i always say they are the guiding compass to our unparalleled success because on this platform my friends we won't get overlooked we won't be labeled because our fight and our fight is for anyone and everyone who feels a need to be understood. We are strong as individuals, but unstoppable when we unite. Tune in, friends, next time to another He's Just a Social Worker show coming to another town real soon near you. We out. Please note that the views expressed here are my own and not a representation of my employers and clients. Thank you for listening. We're always here for you. Just message us and we'll get back to you within 24 hours. Thank you. More than just. At He's Just a Social Worker. In memory of my mother, Matilde De La Rosa. This is dedicated to you, mom. Miss you so much. En memoria de mi madre, Matilde De La Rosa. Esto va dedicado a ti, mamá. Te extraño mucho.